episode 190 of the bitcoin podcast i'm your first host Parcello, and i'm host number two d host number three Corey. do you sound pretty uh tired uh i am what is known as hungover my friend oh why are you wearing like a business shirt uh because i was drinking last night and I didn't get to the point in the night where you get out of the shirt that you were in. <laughs> and we record in the mornings. So I guess that makes sense as to why like you weren't listening to the, the, the Slack messages we were sending back and forth until like three minutes before start our scheduled recording. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. I was uh I was watching Trolls with my three year old. We had That's a, a very, time. very different night, you and I. I listened to yeah. Portuguese music with my with my mother and her best friend who are visiting me right now, and I bought a a Live Edge um, dining table birthday. yesterday. Oh, I want a Live Edge dining table. I'm in the market. It is for one. sick. But yeah, uh, so Bitcoin podcast. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. Hey, yes, yeah. I'm gonna hit you with an ad. I'm not. Happy birthday to my sister. It's her birthday that we went out. Happy birthday, Janice. She's almost 30. Shall I hit it with an ad? Yeah. Put her business in the street like that. Golly. Hmm. All right. Well, on that note, we're brought to you by MyCrypto.com. MyCrypto is an open source client-side tool for generating Ether wallets, handling ERC-20 tokens, and interacting with the Ethereum blockchain more easily. They've gone through a refresh in 2008. They got a beta, Shapeshift API, uh, some pretty big things in the horizon. They operate as a fully transparent, compliant, and legitimate organization capable of balancing all the interests involved. Their team is there to help. Contact support at mycrypto.com. Check them out if you have any questions. They've been around since 2015, and they're focused on building awesome products that put the power in people's hands. Visit mycrypto.com or follow them on Twitter at mycrypto. We're also brought to you by the good folks at ButcherBox. And the connection might not be so obvious, but the crypto communities tend to be early adopters of new trends, and there's a growing population of crypto users trying all meat diets so we're on board they deliver premium 100 percent grass-fed and finished beef organic free-range chicken and heritage bread pork directly to your door on a monthly basis um i had the ground beef since our last episode made some burgers 
and it was a good ass burger. Um, Corey D, did you guys try anything since the last podcast? No, I've been going out to dinner a lot because I have company. And you can't beat this meat. That's a good yeah. Time. Quality cuts from meat from farmers <laughs> who take care of their animals. They treat them humanely and feed them a diet they were actually meant to eat. So I, that translates into meat that tastes better that you can't beat. Hence the jingle. I have a question. What kind of mini gods do we think we are? We think we have the right to tell cows and chickens what they can and can't eat. Well, you have wild chickens and wild pigs where you can't tell that to. I, I was just asking. It's a stupid question, but wild uh, wild pigs will f you up. Wild turkeys will mess you up. Man, I will shrug you in a pig. Mm, I would pay to watch that. <laughs> uh, uh, so last but not least, go ahead. Check out yeah, last but not least, before we jump into it, uh, it's March Madness time. So support for today's show comes from. Bookmaker.eu, their premier sports book service, seeing the U.S. for over 30 years. So it's going to provide all your sports betting needs, including March Madness. And they're taking all those years of experience, and they're pivoting the crypto. So you can make your college basketball picks with Bitcoin today at bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast. That's right. We have our own URL. You can deposit with Bitcoin. It's fast, easy, and simple. And over 90% of bettors use Bitcoin to fund their bookmaker accounts and receive their winnings. Visit bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast to claim your 100% welcome bonus when you make your first deposit in either Bitcoin or fiat currency. They offer live in-progress betting on every major sporting event, which allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from tip off until final whistle. And then bets are graded within seconds. And your winnings are credited to your account instantly. That's bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast. So uh, pretty big milestone happening for uh, Bitcoin. Yes, it uh, is. Kind of under what the radar. It? Under the radar. But the recent version of Bitcoin Core, which is the majority of the clients that run the Bitcoin network, uh, run Bitcoin Core. Um, the recent release version has made a few things default that currently were not default. Um, one of them being native SegWit addresses. So if you make an address using Bitcoin Core, it will be a SegWit address. Um, I think that's going to make a big difference in terms of SegWit adoption and how many people are using more efficient addresses uh, from that previous segregated witness update. If you don't know what segregated witness update, it, it made a ton of improvements, mainly... Uh, some uh, efficiency in terms of how block sizes or how, how transactions are stored or how much they're weighted. You can fit more more transactions into a single block. Either way, it's massive efficiency improvements. Also, they changed the, the address um, scheme. So how it creates addresses. So a SegWit address um, looks different. It now starts with BC1 as opposed to a 3. Mm -hmm which is a pay to script ad, pay P2SH address. It's also doing those by, by, by default. So um, don't be alarmed if your Bitcoin addresses look a bit different and they start with BC1. That's the address you'd like to use. 
which will drastically decrease the fee associated with sending Bitcoin transactions. It's a pretty big one. So these things are like being done by default, which means that a lot of wallets are going to have to adapt to it. Other clients' implementations of the Bitcoin software are going to have to adapt to it, and it'll become eventually the standard, which helps decrease a lot of that fee pressure we were feeling um, over the past months on why everyone thought Bitcoin um, didn't scale or wasn't working or stuff like that. I think that's going to alleviate some of the pressure and it's going to get back down. It's already back down to quite substantially lower fee prices for Bitcoin. Yeah. What do y'all think? I think that uh, it was bound to happen. I mean, there was a demand in the market for lower fees. Everybody went to other tokens. Bitcoin had to get its shit together. I think everyone naturally knows that in just increasing the block size is not going to get it done because that's kicking the can down the road. And so people chose the better option and they're going to continue to do so. Well, it's it's kind of this trade-off between, uh, I don't want to say impatience and patience, but um, a lot of the things that people were saying was because they wanted to use the technology now but the technology wasn't ready. So they went somewhere else instead, or they made a quick decision to change something so that it alleviated the pressure immediately. Like Bitcoin cash was almost a response of we're tired of waiting. The network has grown and the fees are growing. We're going to do whatever it takes to alleviate the pressure immediately. Um, instead of just saying, well, these, these, these things that we're working on will alleviate these things eventually. So just, you know, be patient. We're making sure it's done right. And so, it, like, people don't want to wait. They want to use the they want to use the technology now. And as the network grows and the community grows, and more and more people jump in, if the technology isn't ready to serve that many people, then it's gonna it's gonna feel pressure. It's gonna think you're gonna feel some growing pains. And Bitcoin, as we've seen in the past, just moves really, really slow, but steady. Are the, low, are the yeah. low fees just because there aren't many transactions right now? Is there something else? Like, has it, the hash can, rate increased drastically? Or I've seen that. I don't know. I, the hash I've heard rate has yeah, increased yeah. a lot. Its batching is also bringing the transaction volume down. What about the difficulty, though? Difficulty's gone up. I can't imagine more miners are hitting hash rate when the price is dropping and the hash rate is increasing dramatically. That's something what makes more miners join. Well, I get it. They're in it for the profits, but something has to give. Nothing gives. It's like, like I don't know this system by now. <laughs> no, if the, if the hash rate Price drops, yeah. the difficulty goes down, the more miners go up. But let me look at this it, real quick. It's like this. Like Miners are playing this, this small margin profitability game. That, and that's kind of like the self-incentivization of mining. Is that if the if the difficulty goes down, it automatically allows people who are working on smaller margins oh, wait, the ability to become so. profitable bad. again. My bad. So they'll yeah. join the network, which increases the, this, this thing. But like, like some of these these changes, these protocol changes that they've recently implemented, like batching is becoming a thing, Segwit's becoming a thing, enables more and more transactions to enter into the like the, the underlying blockchain so it may it may look like there's less transactions happening 
because there's more space and the fees go down okay. and, and people are leaving the network. But that's not necessarily the case. And we're going to continue because those things are just becoming more and more efficient. And it's going to change, it's especially with things like Lightning, right? People say, well, you're going to have less transactions. It's going to be less profitable for miners. And all of those people are going to leave and it's just going to be a ghost town on the, on the base layer. That's certainly not true. Like the demand for cheap transactions is unbounded. There's an infinite amount of people who want to use the base layer. And if you can scale some of those off, like say for in, in terms of like what the Lightning Network and state channels are supposed to be doing, it's going to be like two transactions will represent maybe a thousand or two thousand transactions that would have, would have gone on the base layer. That doesn't mean that we're going to have just like, you know, 20 transactions on the base layer because they all move to state channels. No, everyone's going to use the, the network more because you have the ability to use it at small fees. So then how do we provide clarity to people if they're like, well, if it's all off chain, don't you have to trust the off chain person thing that is... Um batching that transaction and sending it through no i mean it's still all trustless like the lightning network Damn. is still sending bitcoin sorry that's all I, that's all i wanted you to say is that last part oh also like <laughs> there's we're also building systems that change like the, you use relative to the trust mechanism that you have like if you need the full trustless nature of the base blockchain you can use that go ahead no one's stopping you. No one can stop you. You just may pay a little bit more for instead of using something that, that that takes a little bit of the trust away but enables massive amounts of like transaction speed and less cost. Like Eventually, that's what we're building. You get to choose what you want to use based on what you're doing. I don't need forever immutability on my donut purchase. I don't give a shit if that's locked in time for all of history. You guys ever heard of Jevons Paradox? No, mm. what's that? Uh, the cheaper some things get, the more we use them. But the overall consumption rises to the point where efficiency gains cause an increase in consumption. Like an economics term. Say that slowly. The cheaper it is, the more that we use them. But the more that we use them, the, the efficiency gains drop. They become less efficient. Efficiency gains cause an increase in consumption. Okay. The more because useful it, something is, the more people use it. Yeah, it states that the economical use results not in diminished consumption, but in overall increase. Yeah. So, pe people so need, if you want to like sum that up, is it saying that people need to use something for it to be useful? Yeah. The rate of the consumption of that resource uh, increases rather than decreases. I could see that. I don't think I'd still be using the internet today if it took five minutes to load a picture. Unless it was porn and porn wasn't so accessible that you would. <laughs> uh, Sorry, ladies. But all men would. <laughs> um, and you know what? That that can be applied to like the price of ether and like hash rates. I don't know. I, I kind of want to do more research on it. I saw something interesting I wanted to run by you guys. You guys open for a question? Sure. How do you feel about that credit card that's giving people 1% crypto back or aiming I've, to? 
Haven't even heard of it. What's it called? Uh, let me hop up, up on in this uh, news feed channel while I get that to you. It was an article that I glanced over yesterday. Here's a problem that I'm finding while you look that up is that I can't keep track of anything anymore. Like I, it's impossible to keep up. I, I, I get asked wow. multiple times a day, have you heard of this thing? Have you heard of this thing? Have you heard of this thing? And I'm sure a good portion of them are interesting and I haven't heard of any of them. How do you make well, sure you learn about the things that are important? I don't think you can. Like, do you get home from work and like, okay, I need, I need two headlines that are important and I need to digest them. I don't like reading headlines. I like reading, like I've spent the majority of my time reading GitHub pages and, and manuals. Like the headlines are what people want you to see. So it's all pretty and glamorous. I want to find the problems in this stuff, which they're not going to tell you in, you know, a press release. My, 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 most of my interest is finding where the problems are so I can figure out who's trying to fix those problems. And you're not going to get that in a headline. But there's, it's so hard to keep track that I don't, I don't know anymore. Like, there are some headlines that I'd like to see. Like, if, you know, for instance, the whole plasma cache thing that Vitalik just did in uh, FCC. I would like to know more about that because I would, I'm following plasma pretty closely. And the fact that I have an interest in following plasma closely and didn't hear about this until a few days after it happened makes me feel like I can't keep up with anything anymore. And if I'm feeling that way, I can't imagine what people who kind of casually listen to our podcast and that's it feel. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to keep up with all of it. It's just impossible. That's like trying to keep up with like, I don't know. All of internet. Yeah. So what do we do? Like, what is what is our role in all of this? If we're trying to be a media source for everybody, if we, we can't even keep up. Verticals. If we have a mining show, then the mining show needs to be an expert in all the mining news. And we just consolidate all the information in the verticals. And then we cast a wide net. Well, I hope that's what we build. Listeners, if you have an opinion... Contact us at Twitter or the Slack or something and tell us what you'd like to hear. Otherwise, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and hope to try and give you something that's of value. We could compartmentalize our shows if you like. There's options. We have options, but I don't think the people are mad. Look, we'll go with this credit card. It's called Block Rise. And uh, not too shabby here. Uh the website details traditional reward cards, an average expenditure of $1,250 per month, $10 cash back. But if someone were to use this card and given the market last year, it would have been $1,000 to $2,400 cash back if they were choosing to get their cash back in Ether. What's their Very website? Interesting credit card. Uh, I can just put this link to uh, BlockRise is well, the name. BlockRise.com is just some fancy splash page that doesn't do anything. So, Yeah, that's why I ask. I can't find any information on them. For our listeners, if they want to dive in. But Black, BlockRise <laughs> has zero results or any, yeah. anything like that. Well, there's a... Oh, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a link here for article I just put in. So maybe BlockRise with a Z. Oh, 
Maybe that sorry, could be, that'd be, uh, that'd be that helps. That helps, D. That's the that's the answer we were looking for. There we go. Sorry. You got it. That's oh, I hate like I hate naming schemes. Yeah, it's just like and I almost feel like can we stop naming things block? It seems kind of Hoping. like a rapper with the name Little. Like played yep. out now. We've been we've Careful. been uh we've been looking for uh <laughs> we've been looking for a name we had to rename the this thing we're putting in for a patent at the place that i work at booze and we have to name the software suite that we've created and it's everything either everything's taken or it's garbage and i refuse to use like block or bit or or uh like chain or coin you guys getting sassy over there at booze I don't know. We had we had Oops. a good idea, but it was already it was already taken, so we have to change it. There should be a a Bitcoin rapper named Lil Block. That'd be a good name. Yeah, I think I like that. But yeah, it's hard. Bit is- bit bit chain block. We need to move on from that. Yeah, we do. We need to move on from that. <laughs> That's, this what all about sounds that? good, but. This credit card. I want to know how this cool. works. I want to know how this. What works. I like, I like when you come up with an idea. Look up in it. Look up that word in a different language, and you usually get a cool sounding word. And that's the name of your app or thing. Like, like I die. Yeah, sure. What does that like mean? Like Alibaba, <laughs> or like Adidas. What does Adidas Ooh. mean? I don't know. That's the thing. I'm sure it means something, though. Yeah, all day I dream about shoes. I mean, that was it when we were kids. I don't know if that's what it actually means. Okay, well, we, we're kind of getting draggy. We should get to the interview. Hey, we can't bring the energy all 190 episodes. If you're listening yeah, to this. Yeah, we can, man. We got to bring the thunder. Not when you're hungover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is true. That is what's what happening. We got a good one though, man. We, um, I, I didn't realize that so many MMA fighters would be on our show. It's awesome. It's awesome that yeah. it is. Um, but we have a returning MMA fighter guest, Mr. John Fitch, hey. the welterweight champion of the world. Do you think the MMA fighters align with crypto so heavily because they're just natural, natural risk takers? There was like a, there was a, a, um, article that i read a few weeks ago about the like um profile of a crypto investor holder and they all align with people that like to take risk i think it's because they like getting paid my opinion is they're not (laughs) nfl players they're not on salary they get a one-time fee that they have to pay their camp they have to pay their trainers they may or may not get fight win bonuses so they can't count on their money until after they fight which they have to train for six months and spar for six months before they even get to that point. So they're looking for better payment methods uh, and, and just a better currency overall because their, their salaries are a little bit unpredictable. That and like they, they have a massive fan base typically, right? Like they have, they have people who follow them who would like to contribute to help them do those types of things. I think cryptocurrency makes it easy for that to happen. Yeah, the MyFighter app would be great because I, I still think people would tip people 
um, show support. So people like, you know, Mighty Mouse don't have to have a Twitch channel on the side to make more money. You know, everyone could be little Conor McGregor's and get what they're, what they deserve in this new economy. Let's mm. see what, uh, let's see what John Fitch has to say about it. How many Conor McGregor's is too many Conor McGregor's? Zero. I could have infinite Conor McGregor's and I think people would be happy. <laughs> I mean, basketball has, has thousands of millionaires and MMA does not. Yeah. Not about thousands, but it's got a lot. That's for yeah. damn sure. All right. Um, well, are we, are we cutting to it? Are we doing it now? Yes. Here it is. All right. We're here with uh, John Fitch, who won his previous four fights, welterweight champ with a 650-day reign before moving on and signing the Bellator. And the ink is pretty wet still from signing that contract. In fact, he was nice yeah. enough to swing back on the show to chat with us. John, welcome, and congrats on the new opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm uh, excited about this. I'm uh, getting a lot of good press, a lot of positive press. Um, yeah, it was one of the issues with the other promotion. I just I felt like they weren't making any noise. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with where I'm at. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, – I remember when we got done interviewing the first time, I was really hyped. Like, oh, man, guys, we just interviewed the champ before he became the champ. And then I, I follow MMA, and I got to admit, I was kind of disappointed with uh, WSOF because there wasn't much promotion behind you. As a champion, I figured there would be way more headlines, way more fanfare written about you. So I'm really psyched about this yeah. Bellator signing because I feel like you're going to be properly promoted again. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Scott Coker. We get along, and... Um... He's, he's a really good promoter. He's, he's been promoting kickboxing since the 80s and uh, been successful. He's never been a failure at promoting, so I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, the, the last time Corey and I talked, it was right before you defeated Zeferino for the belt. The price of Bitcoin was $430. <laughs> what a time, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've gone through Absolutely, a few ups man. and downs since then. <laughs> yeah. I wish I would have bought more. I wish I would have bought more. But if my fans were paying attention when I was getting sponsored by altcoins, they, they'd be up a lot of money right now. Oh, especially because it's just like that Bitcoin's just kind of the, the, I guess, the leading indicator of this entire space. And But once people get their, like, t- like when they dip their toe in, they touch Bitcoin. But you've kind of been aware of the, a good portion of the rest of it. I'm curious, kind of curious to see. What's where have you been since the last time we talked? What's gone on in, in your in your head with regards to um, the cryptocurrency space? I, I've been kind of following more of it afar, and and I'm 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 holding long term in, in the stuff that I'm holding in. Um, I have put together an ether mine, so I've been uh, mining my own ether. Uh, but other than that, you know, I'm looking at it as afar because there's just so much going on. Like it's overwhelming to keep up with, and. Uh, you know, you can't you can't be studying every single coin. There's thousands of them, and uh, there's a lot of them that that are good, and there's a lot of them that are just scams. And um, I think I'm mostly just holding long term for the ones I think are gonna gonna profit in five to ten years. I like that you chose like time frame of five to ten years, and and you're right, especially with with somebody who's like we spend day in day day out like trying to talk to people research stuff, trying to stay relevant, but someone who's not in the space who wants to kind of dip their toe in, I think you've taken the right approach of like, it's, you're right. It's impossible to keep up. 
especially if you have a full-time job outside of the space and you know training for fights is no easy feat by any means yeah and training for fights and then i'm i'm uh you know very active in uh trying to get some legislation passed uh to help you know protect fighters with the muhammad ali expansion act so you know we're self-funding and flying into uh, dc and lobbying congress so that it takes up a lot of a lot of energy and mind mind space too. So, um, you know, instead of just reading and absorbing everything about the crypto space, I've I've got to put a lot of time into educating other people. So, can you help? Have to ration ration time out. Can you help kind of educate us on what that is and what the, what the initiative is? So, like maybe our listeners can can help participate. Yeah. So basically, the Muhammad Ali Act is uh, is federal legislation that protects boxers from uh, unscrupulous promoters like Don King, and it uh, has uh, a, just a few basic things that kind of ensure more of a free market exists. And that's one is uh, the fighter fighters have the right to um, audit the uh, the revenue stream. So you get to look to see how much money is being made and where the money is being spent. So that you're ha- able to negotiate your contracts better because you actually know what money is being made. You know, if you have no idea how much money the promoter is being made, you don't know what kind of money to ask for. You know, people are people are paying to watch you fight. They're paying for your name. Um, so that, that that's a big part of it. One, the other is uh, it creates independent rankings and uh, sanctioning bodies. So right now, with promoters in MMA, they control the title. Um, and that doesn't happen in boxing. There's a separate uh, separate organizations that control the titles in boxing. Um, we're not saying boxing is perfect, but we need a separation of powers. It'd be like in, in any other professional sport, if the uh, the owner controlled the title, like uh, the Dallas Cowboys own the NFL football trophy, and they got to decide who was ranked what every year and who got to go into the Super Bowl every year. That would be a very very strong conflict of interest, and you'd see a lot of uh, a lot of you know screwing around with who gets to go into the Super Bowl because, you know, one of the owners of the team has, has financial uh, um, interest in who goes to the Super Bowl every year. Um, uh, it also helps end coercive contracts. That's one of the big ones. We have a lot of coercive contracts that exist in MMA um, where, you know, the, con- the, the the promoter will be like, okay, well, we have a bout agreement for me. We'll send the bout agreement for a minute so you have a fight. But you have to sign these six other contracts before we give you your bout agreement. Um, you have to negotiate every, all those contracts separately. You, you can't do that. And uh, that's one of the one of the things they do is they they wait until you're starving to offer you another fight. You know the, they know that if you're game, if you're making ten and ten, uh, uh, that that's not going to last you that long. After you pay out trainers, pay taxes, pay all that stuff, that money's not going to last you nine months. So they know you're going to be hungry and you got to feed your family. And they'll be like, okay, we have a fight for you, but sign this, sign this, uh, this promotional extension for, for nine more fights and for, for not very much more money. And uh, they'll stack them up on top of each other, and, and you'll have to sign on all these contracts in order to get your bout agreement and fight again. Um, and, and, it'll, and, and that. Um, one of the last things it does is this is more for champions, but it, it, uh, it, it makes champions, uh, as soon as you win the belt, you have the option of becoming a free agent. Um, one of the things UFC does right now is uh, they put in a, a like a, a championship championship clause. So if you if you win the championship, you have to defend it under their promotion. So um, you're basically never free from their contract after winning the belt, um, and that's that's your most valuable period of time. Like that's when you should be allowed to negotiate for more money. 
if there's a promotion out there who's willing to pay you more money because you're the champion, you should have that right to go out and, and seek that. So with that said, what criteria does MMA use for the ranking system? Because for me, and I think Corey agrees, ranking, it's, it's, that's what I'm saying, uh, yeah. Yeah, they don't. It's, it's uh, MMA's uh, business model is copied from WWE. So, so it's not it's not a sports model. It's not yeah, it's not a sports model at all. It's not based on sport. It's based on production. It's based on a television show. Oh, yeah, of the most best athletes available. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's yeah, and that's the problem. Is and people and a lot of people are having a really hard time letting go of that idea. It's like it's not a sport. It's pro wrestling, but the 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 outcomes of the events are not predetermined. That's the only difference, and that's really disingenuous to the fighters, the athletes, and. You have people gambling on this stuff. You have uh, you have the the state uh, the state regulators or the athletic commissions are involved. So the government's involved already. Like you know, it has to operate like a sport. Like all sports follow the basic same criteria, and that's the athletes compete for titles, and the promoters owners are supposed to compete for the athletes. And that's not what happens in MMA. In MMA, the athletes compete with each other to get the promotion, and the promotions uh, just compete to suppress wages. I kind of see this as like a, a, an analogy to what the music industry used to be like. It's just not as yes. obvious. And so like the, the, mm-hmm. a lot of the producers of music industry and record labels were taking massive advantage of the actual talent. Yep. And the people yep. who, like, also, also the, uh, the film industry back like in the fifties. Yeah. Like, and I, and I see in the same way that I think this, this space is disintermediating what the music industry is trying to do by making one fighters have alternate revenue sources that are directly from the fans that are, are like supporting them and, tra- and and massive and massive increases in transparency of how the money flows through from the people who pay for shit to the fighters to the people who enable the fighters like you think that something like that could help the like the fighters end up getting what they're there for and not being taken advantage of like like for instance you said they're getting contracts because they're kind of being withheld until they're starving. So they end up signing shit that they wouldn't sign otherwise. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's a, there's a famous example is my example. Like in 2008, I refused to sign a video game rights agreement because it was, uh, it was indefinite forever for zero compensation. They wanted my image and likeness to use in a video game. They weren't going to pay me and it was forever. And I was like, hold on, like, can we at least put a 20 minute or 20 year time limit on this? Because, you know, 20 year time. Very, you know, I was like, <laughs> can we at least, you know, who knows what technology is going to do? And, and, you know, for a good example today, like, you know, like there, you could have an app, you could spend 1500 to $3,000 and make your own video game app with your image and likeness. But like that, that's not really available under that, under that contract. So like I could see back then that it was a bad idea and they fired me. I was coming off a loss at the time and they fired me. And uh, when I when I wasn't going to re-sign with them right away and say sorry for 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 fighting you on this issue, um, they threatened my teammates and my management, everybody who was represented by my management. They said as soon as they lose their fights, they're going to be uh, fired, and they'll your management and your team will never be fighting in the UFC again. So I was I was strong-armed or blackmailed into signing this agreement. That's a coercive contract, and um, yeah, they still own my video game rights. You must really love fighting because it sounds like the promotions <laughs> are just really stressful. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's if they pulled they pulled a scan, they pulled a, pulled the wool over everybody's eyes, and people don't even really understand what's going on. Like they don't they don't see the problem with the promoter owning the the title. 
they're convinced that it was a league, that the UFC is a league. It's not a league. Leagues have multiple owners who are on a same footing. Um, you know, other sports leagues have 30 owners, 32 owners. So because you have 32 owners who have the same revenue type streams, you have a more free market. They can bid on you. They have, you know, the NFL is a sanctioning body. That's an independent company that controls the title. None of the actual teams in the NFL control the title. So you, you, you have this uh, just monopoly set up. And this is, prize fighting is an old sport in the U.S. It's more than 200 years old. And there, there's case law that goes back a long time uh, arguing these things. Um, boxers have taken people to court in order to uh, own their title, own their own their rank, so that if a promoter kicks them out, they don't lose their rank. And that that actually happened to me. I was ranked ninth by the UFC when they fired me the second time. And when as soon as I was fired, I lost my ninth in the world ranking, and I dropped off the ranks altogether. So, um, so how does Dan know, Henderson, who's ranked number nine, get a chance at the belt against Bisping? How does that that's work? A, that's another that's another issue. And I mean, that's not as big as an issue as um, the number two not getting a shot within a 12-month period. And that, that's one of the things the Ali Act does for boxing is you're supposed to mandate uh, the number one contender fights the title holder within 12 months or the title holder loses his belt. Right. You can, you can do freak show fights. You can do fights that are fun for the fans uh, based on notoriety. That's okay. The, the May, May, Mayweather-McGregor fight, that's okay. But it shouldn't be... You know, you shouldn't have five or six of those type fights instead of a title fight happening over a two-year period of time, which has happened. So in Bellator, are you working up the ranks or are you going for the money fights? I know you start with Daly. Rory's probably the end goal for you. I mean, to me, honestly, until we have a real free market, they're all basically money fights at this point because there is no yeah. – there is no a ladder of progression there is no okay i do this i move up one i do this i move up one it's, it's mm -hmm. you know it, it, the the rank the merits system is stripped from it and it's it's a mostly based on notoriety but notoriety there's a lot of things that go into notoriety and rank and accomplishments are something that are supposed to go into that and that's kind of blocked out in uh in mma and it's based just on popularity basically but that's not that's not true sport yeah, but what is what is what is popularity like? How do you how do you like find exactly. metrics and popularity? Is yes. it number of number yes. of watches for the fight? Is it how much money that particular fight brings in? Is it people who are yes, following you it, on Twitter? Like, what is that? And if you can't and if you can't get the numbers of those revenue streams and the numbers of viewership, like you don't have an argument on those metrics either. So like, it's just a leveraging point for the promoter because they can just say whatever. They say, oh, you're boring. Okay, they don't offer any evidence of you being boring. They're not like, well, look at look at the uh, viewership drop when you uh, when you fought. Um, and if that happened, why would they just put guys on the undercard? You know, they called me boring for a long time, but they kept putting me in main events and and uh, and on the and on the pay per view card. Why would that happen if I'm boring and I don't move the needle? Um, why would they fly me and force me to go and do signings and appearances all over the world? If, if no one wanted to come out and see me, why would they spend the money to fly me to go and, uh, and meet people in England if nobody wants to meet me? Why would there be two hours of lines you know, for people to come and get an autograph if I'm boring? Why would they have me headline of an event in Australia if I'm boring? So is you, know, it, like, you think it's all because like, it's, 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 it's this, this back-end business strategy? Yes, Absolutely. 
they don't want consistent uh, winners. They want guys to win one, lose one, win two, lose one. Um, because at, uh, the more often you lose, uh, your, your pay doesn't go up. It stays the same. Uh, they have the power to fire you. Um, you have less leveraging power, negotiating power. So the guys, people like to say that they don't like grapplers, but it's not because grapplers aren't exciting. It's because grapplers win too consistently. <laughs> Tyrone Woodley gets a lot of heat right now because they say he's boring. It's not that he's boring. It's that he's too consistent. Good. <laughs> they always attack the consistent guys. Um, if you're winning, if you're putting nine fight win streaks together in the UFC, they do not like you. They do not like you at all. They want you to lose. Wow. It's all about it's all about power and, and manipulation and controlling. It's because it's not a sport. People assume it's run like a sport. It's not. It's a television show. Think about a, a television show and how a movie is cast and why those people get cast in those roles. Is it always because it's the best actor or is it because it, somebody took less money? So um, you're saying that Jose Aldo on a 10-year win streak, they – the promotion literally threw him to the wolves with McGregor, hoping that he would lose and create a story well, to market and make more money. There are certain instances where consistency is a, is allowed, and that's when they're trying to get into a market. Uh, GSP in Canada, uh, McGregor in Ireland, Bisping in England, uh, Jose Aldo and Anderson Silva in Brazil. But once these guys get into the market and they make the money and they're in that market, they'll throw the guys to the wolves. They'll turn their back on. Uh, and that, that was evident with Jose Aldo when he started getting injured and having problems. They started turning on him. They wanted to make him fight injured because they wanted him to start losing. He'd won too much, and they were already in the Brazilian market. They didn't need him anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, Anderson Silva dominates everybody, destroys everybody. They get into the Brazilian market, and then they start throwing him into tougher fights, and now he's losing to everybody and getting popped for steroids. Oh, and, man. And the, and the ex- like, because it's so – like, what is the f- – the ideal future of how to fix all this. If, we, if it's treated like a TV show, how do you divorce yourself from that so that you have like more of a sport-like atmosphere that's fair stage for the- one, Stage one is the Ali Act because it will take the title away from the promoter. That that opens things up. That's, that's step one is getting the Ali Act. Um, you know, getting revenue streams, getting guys' uh, ability to look at the revenue streams, then they can start negotiating because they're like, hey, you know, <laughs> McGregor, for example – Got got paid th- like three to five million. He made off of his fight with Eddie Alvarez in New York City, right? Um, that's the most any MMA fighter has made for one fight ever. Um, the the gate of that that event in New York was seventeen point five million. That's just people buying tickets and sitting in the seats. That's not pay per view. That's not T shirts. That's not fight pass. That's not any of that stuff. He made less than fifty percent of the gate. How is that okay? Like those people paid to watch McGregor fight. Like they didn't fight. If he wasn't on that card, they wouldn't have sold that. Every other sport, every other professional sport in in, in America, at least maybe in the world, uh, pays at least minimum fifty percent of the revenue to the athletes. The UFC pays, and they and they're the dominant uh, one in the market. They they make ninety percent of uh, all the revenue, right? They only pay their athletes 17% of the gross revenue, right? When boxing was at its worst, uh, back in like the 1925 era, 35, more like that, they paid their boxers 25%. NCAA athletes make about 22% of the gross revenue from the NCAA 
on uh, scholarships and room and board. So the fighters in the highest, most dominant 90% of the, of the, of the market uh, profession or uh, organization only make 17%. So what are, the, what are the expectations for someone like yourself who will be a co-main eventer? What, what, like, is there a burden on your shoulders or is that kind of all on? Like, no, because it's, it's, uh, it's, pay, it's a fixed pay. So no matter what's, what's sold. So I kind of, I, I mean, I think it takes away from the, the smaller promotions too, but it's a, it's fixed pay. So like you have, you have, uh, your show money and your win money. And, uh, regardless of how many tickets sell for that event, you're, you're guaranteed those money, you guarantee that money. I'd rather, I would rather be, uh, in a free market where, I can I can influence the amount of people who watch the show, and as that is uh, raised, more people watch. I get paid more. What about uh, like you see people like you know Rory McDonald having sponsorships from cryptocurrencies? What else? What else? Freedoms for uh, getting whoever you want to you know slap their name on your butt while you're fighting. Oh no, that's, no, that uh, in um, in uh, like Bellator we have the ability to get whatever sponsor we want, and that's great. It should be that way. Uh, the UFC has forced a uh, monopsony situation where they force guys to wear uniforms. Yeah, the so, whole uh, the whole uh, Reebok deal. I, I remember, like, I have the same management of Chuck Liddell, and uh, Chuck used to make like twenty grand, fifteen to twenty grand per spot on his shorts per per uh, um, um, sponsor, right? McGregor for the UFC when he fights, he's capped at forty thousand dollars. <laughs> because he's wearing Reebok, and that's as a champion, that's the most you can make. Yeah. And he he made 15 million in his fight with uh, Mayweather because he's protected by the Ali Act, and he's able to get his own sponsors. I I, I don't think he's going to get 15 million uh, from sponsors fighting in the UFC, but I'm pretty sure he's going to get you know in the millions because of who he is. He has things that are his own brand, his own whiskey and stuff like that. He could put on his own shorts. Like he, he, he has ways of making way more money than 40 grand. Yeah. I'm just starting to see avenues of, of like these, these kind of these cryptocurrency communities are really driven and almost to the point of fanaticism. And I see them like just the way dash has taken the opportunity to, to yeah. give Rory a bunch of money so they could put their name, put their name on them. I see yeah. a lot of other, a lot of these other networks willing to do something like that. Like how, how willing are, people in the Bellator to, to start to be receptive of that because I think it like not only does it no, help the, push uh, the idea the promoters of, 100 the promoters 100 percent they're not gonna have a problem with it I mean yeah. if it's not if it's not you know there's certain things you're limited on you can't do uh you can't do gambling you can't do alcohol and cigarettes I think um but like they're not gonna tell you no on a, on a crypto sponsor and it used to be like that in the UFC it used to be like that uh you know we used to make quite a bit of money I, back in like 2007, 2008, I would make as much money um, from sponsors as I made uh, from my fight purse. But around that time period, the UFC started charging the sponsors uh, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year to sponsor uh, fighters. So they started taxing the sponsors, and that started putting some of the sponsors out of business because you would have uh, little, small mom and pop shops who wanted. Uh, you know, three or four fighters uh, to to wear their T-shirt every year. You know, and those fighters would fight uh, two to three times. So they had it in their budget to to pay those guys. But then when the UFC came around, it was like, no, you got to pay us a hundred thousand dollars first. I put a lot of people out of business. Yeah, because I, I would I would I think it'd be cool to get 
one of y'all to wear one of our t-shirts after you after you knock somebody the fuck out and put on the, the bitcoin podcast yeah, no, t-shirt I, i've uh i've uh, i've gotten sponsorships from uh nautilus coin uh hypercoin um and then i had a a, a bitcoin company uh that uh that sponsored me also the same same guy who started the uh, Legends Room Club in Vegas. Oh yeah, yeah. We had a uh, Stefan Bonner on talking about that. Yeah, I went, <laughs> I went out uh, New Year's and uh, hung out there. It was, it's an interesting concept because please, please tell us everything about the Legends Room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome, but um, people don't know about it yet, so it needs to grow. It needs time to grow. Yeah, I, I and I know you're not going to take. I know you don't want to take credit for it, but I think you're like the first fighter because. Michael Chandler is, is doing it. Chael Sonnen is talking about it now on his podcast. I saw Michael Bisping at a freaking Dallas Bitcoin conference three weeks mm-hmm. ago, but you kind of had the foresight to. Yeah, I started studying this stuff, reading this stuff, and I, yeah. I was following some people online. I was like, man, I started reaching out and be like, hey, I'm fighting this time. You guys interested in putting something together? And I think it was the first one was the Nautilus coin. And uh, it was. Um, is it Brian Kelly, the guy, the guy who's on one of CBS Money, one of those shows, and um, uh, we we did a crowd a crowd fund. So guys put in money to donate to raise the money to put a sponsorship on my shorts and banner, and um, those guys basically pumped and dumped it that night, and they made a good amount of money. Uh, so it was uh, it, it was interesting. It was it was a good little uh, thing, and I, I hope I made some of my fans money that night. I was telling them, hey, just you know, put in a hundred bucks, see what it does. Got to be careful there. Uh, Got to be real careful. There. <laughs> yeah. We've, uh, we've, we've, well, well, yeah. N- now, now there's a little more, like you can't really say that now there's a lot more scrutiny, you know, it was, Absolutely. It was more the wild west. SEC has definitely got their yeah, eye on things now. That was about, you know, four years ago, maybe. Yeah. All right. I think that's, uh, I, I, I love having you on to talk about, like, because we like having people like this on so they can see the problems that currently exist in traditional systems. And then like how, like this, the, the types of issues that you laid out for us are very similar to a lot of the issues that cryptocurrency efforts are trying to solve, but they haven't quite pointed their eye directly at something like the UFC and like how the backend business structure operates versus what we think we see when we watch like a ufc fight or a bellator fight and i think it's important that our listeners kind of understand that like the problems that cryptocurrency is trying to solve are everywhere and they could make a lot of these things better for the people who are actually putting their life on the line in in situations like like fighting like better and more profitable and more efficient so that they are get the like you know the right type of awards that they deserve for the efforts they put in for the fans So, uh, like, I guess one more question that we asked you last time. In 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? 10 words or less? Um, man. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we words. love that question. <laughs> Everybody gets it. Um, yeah. Um, uh, un, un, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Unforgeable digital money. I think that works. On an, op- on an open ledger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unforgeable digital money might be like the most succinct, best way of saying it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Unforgeable digital money on an open ledger. I think that's 
Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you did. You've done better than about 85% of the people on this show. So. <laughs> yeah. See, well, let me, uh... thing is like, it's, I think that's my, I'm trying to figure out my specialized skill set after fighting. And I think um, I'm not an expert at anything, but I'm really good at listening to experts and then breaking it down to everybody else. Well, if you haven't noticed, like when you first came on, we were the Bitcoin podcast, but we now we are the Bitcoin podcast network. So if you're thinking about a podcast, you're always welcome to do one on our network because I feel like a podcast from you is long overdue. I've been doing, um, yeah, I pitched some of my stuff. I've been doing a shake break every day at 10. Um, I'm late on the weekend and I, I, I do it on the weekdays and I, I just answer questions. Sometimes I've prepared stuff I talk about that I want to talk about. Um, I'm trying to build that up. I'm going to release a Patreon soon. Uh, try to get a thousand followers on that, um, and then if I can hit a hit a thousand followers on a Patreon, I'm going to start a podcast. And we'll help then, you with um, that. Yeah, I'm totally uh, technically deficient. <laughs> like, well, we got you covered on that one. <laughs> all right, that'd be awesome. I could use the help. And then uh, I started doing a uh, a blog series on Medium, and then uh, as soon as I get my website revamped and up i'll probably transfer that blog series over to my website and everything else over to my website to keep it all centralized um but yeah but people can check that blog series out uh uh medium backslash at john fitch uh the blog series is called failing upward or death by ego um i'm basically going through all my old journals i got like 17 years of journals 18 years now and um i'm just sharing what's in the journals and, and uh trying to figure out you know, what the hell happened? I, that sounds oh, I pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, I'm going to go dig into that. All right. Well, John, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Always welcome awesome to come talk. back on and, and talk shop. Cool, man. I appreciate it. And that was the interview with John Fitch, uh, Sir Maximus John's, John Maximus Fitch, a yep. MMA, MMA legend. Uh, I don't watch MMA, but. From what I hear from Cello, this guy is the bee's knees. He's a vet in the game, for sure. Um, May 12th, he faces off against Paul Daly, and the bout will be the co-main event for Bellator 199 at the SAP Center in San Jose, California. And very interesting, D. I I put the clip in uh, the slack. The guy who he's fighting tried to do a late shot on a guy. This was like 10 years ago, and it got insta-fired from UFC. I watched that. He, like, it was a very cheap shot. It was, yeah, uh, he didn't even land it. I mean, I feel like if you're going to get fired over a shot, you should have at least landed it. <laughs> if you're going to do dirt, might as well do it right. Yeah. Oh, man. Do you think that he's going to make his own blockchain, John Fitch, called Fitchcoin, and it's going to be proof of throat punch? He says he's got something in the works, but he can't let us know about it. Proof so of it proof of neck chop. You've got to <laughs> you got to submit authenticated images of you chopping bitches' necks in order to get a transaction onto the Fitchcoin blockchain. <laughs> I think it's work. I think I think it could work. The more validators like of your neck chop. The, I like it. The it's like confirmations. Although I haven't seen anyone get neck chopped in a in a MMA fight. Corey actually neck chopped me in a game of beer pong back in the day. These are facts. Yeah, that's that's the type of setting where you would see neck chops in. Yeah. Like 
it was I was deserving. I was trying to come across the table to get the ping pong ball so I could get extra shot. And dude neck shot me up right right behind my ear. <laughs> it was like it was a close cool. to fighting, you know. It was like no it wasn't at all. It was actually everybody in the room stopped and said, Did you just neck chop him? And I said, Yeah. He neck chopped now him. Now we're now we're better friends for it. Mm-hmm. The bonds are stronger. Sometimes you gotta throw out a neck chop. Um, and speaking of alcohol, um, our boy Kyle in Ireland. That's uh, right. He gave us some uh, some praise, and it'd be really cool to get some of that Ireland whiskey. Yeah, in our studio. Kyle uh, actually hit me up in the river chat room for um, JJ. And the trading guys, we heavily recommend you join that chat room if you want to get your trade on uh, the show link. The, the show notes to the buy or sell what the hell have the link to that chat room. But he said, hey, you know, I, I found you guys on the link. 15 best cryptocurrency podcasts. You were number 10, but that was wrong. I think you're number one. Well, thank you, man, because we think you're number one. And you have a Rick from Rick and Morty icon as your profile picture which means you're cool with us yeah and shout out to jay for supporting the show shout out to everybody <laughs> wait there was one thing in the the news that i wanted to talk about before we go i wanted to get your thoughts on it let me see if i can right. recall um Excuse me. That was a very strange noise. I apologize, audience, for that very strange noise. So, would you, Cello, if your bank tomorrow said, hey, uh, we're going to let you buy Bitcoin, and we're going to be the custodians of your, your Bitcoin here at Chase Bank, would you use that program? I would not. Why so? Well, don't banks have a a worse enough reputation? Is that the whole reason why we're doing this? To get away from the big banking system? That's part of it. That's a big part of it. They are an enormous bureaucracy. And they have abusive policies. And I don't like them. Well. uh, So no. So how do you feel internally about the fact that they're peeling away blockchain from all of that it is and trying to say like distributed ledger technology it feels like such a trumpian move like to just take something and then call it something else feels like ripple that's what it feels like (laughs) ripple's going on coinbase by the way uh probably not i don't think so they are in bed with japanese banks man that's what they're doing Oh well, we're, the Japanese are the U.S. allies, so there's nothing wrong with the Japanese people. Well, I think they do that, so then they can work on cross-border payments and interbank settlements in the future. I think it's easier to go that route. It's shady. I don't know. If Bank of America made B of A token, I would try to my hardest to not buy it. Like, even if they were giving it out, I would take, they'd give me B of A coin token, and I would send it straight to an exchange. 
Like, don't pass go. Don't collect two hundred dollars. Go straight to go yeah. straight to an exchange and get into Bitcoin as fast as possible. But there is a distributed ledger problem. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it sucks that they're trying to rename it, and they're like, "Oh, like nobody's gonna know. Nobody's gonna know. We're just gonna call it. Uh, we call it distributed ledger technology. By the time the masses get here, they won't even know that they're not using crypto. They're just using a bank ledger." Yeah, it's just the the whole backbone of Bitcoin is the distributed ledger technology. You know, guided by its principles, uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency transactions need to be validated by the network of users. So central banks are going to need to consent for transactions to clear and settle on a peer-to-peer basis without a trusted third party. Uh, not going to happen. I mean, it's going to eliminate the need for for traditional banking systems. That's what we're here for. There, how many banks are there in the U.S.? And we'll no longer need them to facilitate commerce. So, I don't. I wouldn't use my bank. I wouldn't trust them, and I'd like for them all to go away. I'd like for them all to evolve. That's what I would like. Evolve in a way that's not a cancer on an economy. That's all I want. They know they're a cancer, and they don't care. They're, we're, so, we're too big of a cancer to fail, is what they said now. It's like, hey, what are you going to do without us? It's basically All it's going to do, do is make the adoption wider, and then it's going to revitalize. Excuse me? What? Did you say whiter? Wider. Wider. Wider? Okay. Wide. <laughs> not, not the white race. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. The, I the wider adoption is good, but it's going to revitalize heated debates that have been ignored for decades that the banks didn't. These are arguments that the banks don't want to talk about. And it's going to require c- controversial measures for society, for these, for these banks to hold on. Mm. They're in a, they're in a really bad position right now because if they do pivot to crypto, it's going to seem like, oh, well, if you can't beat them, join them, instead of them embracing this technology early on. Mm. And that's, that's how you would get my trust. But mm. if they adapt, it's just going to be because it's like, oh, we kind of have to or else we're going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to push right. governments to finally start paying attention. You know, it kind of reminds me of when I saw which was a rare, rare thing to see in the wild. Wild was the Blockbuster kiosk that was right next to a Redbox kiosk. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, they're really trying. They're trying as hard as they can, but they lost. They lost the battle. Redbox isn't even a thing anymore. Yeah. I've, I went to a Redbox one time, and all I felt like I did was waste my life at that thing. I was like, there's no good movies in here. And, and I don't want to come yeah. back to this. So every anyways. time we rent, me and my wife rent something from Redbox, they throw it up on Netflix like a week later. And we're <laughs> like, God damn it. But anyway, did I answer your question adequately? Um, 
Yeah, I think he did. It was basically like you feel that it's not going to work. Nope. I mean, trying you want them to adapt. I want them to go away. I hope one of us is right. I'll be okay <laughs> with either. <laughs> Me too. Well, we got to wrap this up. So, do we wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah, kind of a kind of a yeah. funny episode, you know, varying levels of energy, but it's South by Southwest week, so all you tech guys, all you conference goers be safe out there. Yeah. Uh as always, cryptoinvestsummit.io we're a, we're a sponsor, so visit that website, secure your spot. Cryptocon.com. That's March 23rd. Tickets are going fast. We're a sponsor. And Token 2049, uh, March 20th through the 21st. Oh, we're a sponsor. We're that sponsoring a lot well. of conferences. You know, we should like do a little game where if somebody has the the uh, program and they snapshot our emblem from the program and like send it to us. Then we give them something. Hell yeah! We should make that. Oh. give them a hat or something. Like give them, give them a shirt or something. Yeah, you're gonna be at the Draper University, the boot camp in San Mateo, right? You and the Block Edge so. crew. I believe yeah. so. These are facts. We're a sponsor of that one as well. No, <laughs> okay. Sponsoring crypto conferences, yeah, yeah. That's that's you got to get the nineties R and B. I like there. it. Very, Did you like very that? Very Black Street of you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's wrap it up. So, on Twitter, we are at the BTC Podcast. Um, tweet to us. Uh, we will tweet back to you. Chella runs the Twitter, and he will tweet. Yep. Uh, he's our resident Derek tweeter. Do you know yep. what I mean by that, Cello? Uh, yes, <laughs> I do. No, we, it was on the last episode of Buy or Sell. What the hell? We said we're gonna Damn hire a, got a, a Twitter guy and call him Derek Tweeter. And I, I really love the 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 law, the law one because it's funny. You you get a person on your podcast and you don't know if they're gonna be a good conversationalist, but that guy rocked the spot, man. I yeah. like them. I like Phil, them a lot. Phil's actively trying to help represent people building in this space, um, which there's not a lot of lawyers that are. Some lawyers are like brushing it off. But this guy, Phil, he sees the opportunity, period. He's like, look, a lot of these people just need guidance and they need help. So you guys should go back and listen to that buy or sell. What the hell? Some good advice from a lawyer. Um, that was a good one. DJ NES just had an episode drop. So if you're chilling at work and you need some tunes, put on uh, Crypto Till Affinity. So I he's think from we're gonna your, uh, He's from your hometown. He's from my parents' hometown, St. Louis. Oh, you're not you're not repping it anymore? Is the Chiefs that bad? Uh the Chiefs are from Kansas City. Isn't that in Missouri? It is in Missouri. But St. Louis, uh, I wrote the Cardinals. Um, okay. But I can't, I can't call it my home. I, I never even lived I there. This is where my family's from. So. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else do we do? Corey's got like 15 
half written blogs. So just poke him on Twitter, like prod him and say, Hey, can we get one of those blogs, man? Can we get one? Uh, yeah. And you can catch me on all the shows throughout the network that I do. So should have some on wrappings coming and some announcements as well. So, uh, yeah, shout we got out some to, good stuff. Shout out to Zoe Saldana. Um, damn. I did. I watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two again, and I gotta say, you can kind of see through the green paint and see the beauty behind the. Let, let, hold on, you know I'm gonna take it a step further. Interspecies erotica. It would be a thing. If mm. There were a lot of green Zoe Saldana's in the world. Using a lot of words. I don't see color. You know. So, to me, I just mm-hmm. see a beautiful woman. So, all right, shallow how of the alien race. <laughs> play, play the outro. <laughs>